Hi, everyone. I'm really happy today to have Halisa Harker, CEO of Red Ant Digital Agency, here with us. Hi, Halisa. Hi, Ali. How are you? Good, thank you. So, Red Ant has um, been in China for quite some time, and you have helped quite a lot of beauty brands. You're currently, your clients include Lush, Charlotte Tilbury, Beauty Blender, and um, many more. So I thought it would be great to have you here to talk about some of the key things that come up with managing social media for foreign brands in China. Great, happy to be here. Great. So the first question is really about um, social platforms. So in China, there are obviously so many different social platforms and it can be quite confusing because there are new ones that come on like on the scene that are red hot all the time. So for beauty brands specifically, how do you help them navigate that choice of which ones to be present on? So it is quite confusing because there are so many. We generally say that for one Western social network, there's probably 10 equivalents in China. So <laughs> cutting through is quite daunting. But for the beauty um, segment, it's quite lucky in a way because the channel that is the most dominant in terms of where all the girls hang out to find out what are the latest beauty trends is the Little Red Book. So my team actually call the Little Red Book um, the Chinese girls hack to their daily life, which I think is a pretty accurate way of describing it because it tends yeah. to be the way that they discover new products. If they've heard about something, the th thing they do is first go on to Red and discover who else is talking about it, what posts can mm -hmm. they see. Mm -hmm. And it's the platform that really does user-generated content properly. So of course there is the paid side, there are the KOLs and KOCs that actually make a living off of Red, yeah. but there are also the true consumers that are posting just because they've found something or are using something that they love. Mm. Mm, yeah, the little red book is certainly, and the search engine, it, as a search engine in itself, it's so powerful, right? Like you could, if you're looking for any specific topic or, or trend, you can just put it in and it comes up with so much. And I think that's the good point about the user generated content. I think so much of Chinese social media, you can be bombarded by the KOL content, but at least little red book, they've tried to keep it more democratic in that way in terms of absolutely. Content. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's the place where, because they've worked so hard to limit the amount of brand posts and brand sponsorship within mm. the platform, of course it still exists because they need to monetize, but they've worked really hard to foster that community of true users so the consumers actually trust the content that they see within there because they believe that it's people that are like them using products that they would potentially find interesting themselves whereas some of the other networks as you say it's dominated by kols or it's dominated by paid posts and it's really hard to actually discover something that is authentically interesting yeah yeah and i mean another thing that brands have to sort of think about when they're coming in is the amount of localization to do um you know in you obviously work with a lot of international brands and when they're coming into china they need to look at their overall strategy who is their consumer what is what motivates them and you know one thing that i talk to brands about is do you do a lot of localization or do you you know it's that balance i think that's quite interesting so how do you guys sort of navigate that yeah it's it's a important question because 
all global brands want to maintain the global brand image and so they should because that's the integrity that comes through where they're from and what will actually make them interesting to the modern Chinese consumer. Um, however, localization is necessary, um, but only in some aspects. So as a general rule, we will say if a, if a good global brand with a strong global brand image has good strong assets, for the most part, visually, they can leverage those assets across Chinese social media. Um, mm -hmm. But there are a couple of areas where they need to consider localizing. So absolutely, they do not need to come in and reshoot everything and recreate all their assets. For the most part, if they've got good IG game, that can apply to say good red game in yeah. China. And my team, even though uh, IG is not accessible, they'll get onto VPN and they'll mm. see what's going on in the IG channel for the brand and leverage a lot of that global content for the local platforms. Where you do need to really localize is around kind of three key areas. So one is um, copywriting and tone of voice. Mm -hmm. So this is especially um, pertinent to beauty brands because the beauty brands and the netizen language for beauty brands is quite creative, quite colloquial, very playful mm -hmm. in China. And mm -hmm. it's not okay to just come in and kind of talk with the PR brand story that you would have maybe on the West. You need to allow your copywriters in China to get a bit playful and mm -hmm. use fun topics and what might seem a bit clickbaity, but headlines that will get people to engage and get people to discover. They need to be allowed to tap into those trends that will mm. make people find your product of interest. If you just go with straightforward copy, literally verbatim from your English language, it's just not going to cut through and you'll get lost. So mm. copywriting, tone of voice is really key for localization. Mm -hmm. It's a must have. Um, formats is another key place to localize. So the hero is the global brand image and the global assets. And then when it comes to actually the execution on the social media channels within China, particularly on the WeChat channel, it's really mm -hmm. important to then go local there. So you can leverage the assets, but the way you lay them out and the order that you lay them out and perhaps the animation that you put on the graphics and maybe mm -hmm. the additional features that you'll add to the graphics, potentially it's um, some kind of fun uh, uh, gifts or fun emojis this kind of stuff that maybe you wouldn't use on a global level really yeah. do work on a Chinese level mm. so allow your global assets to be played with a little bit to reflect the format requirements um, and then the third area of localization is around local faces so um, it's still good to have the global um, brand faces that you mm -hmm. use always however for the products to really resonate and for the Chinese consumers to see how that product might work on their face they want to see somebody who looks like them cool. so that's where the KOLs come in and leverage the KOLs to use the products try the products give the demos um, and leverage that content on your social media channel so yeah it's really those three key areas copywriting tone of voice formats and local faces but for shooting so images mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. If your IG game's good, a lot of that content will apply locally. Yeah, yeah. And I think to your point about the copywriting, I think nicknames for beauty products and beauty brands, you know, that's something that when a, a brand's coming in, you have to sort of, you have to work out ideally what you want the nickname of your star product to be and what do you, because otherwise it'll get a nickname anyway, right? The, the, Absolutely. The, 
talk about it or give it something. So, yeah, I think that it's some, and then to the, also to the point about international brands, especially luxury beauty brands coming in and having to take that more playful, um, you know, that more playful attitude. And it's, yeah. I've had experience obviously with, you know, brands like Burberry or Chanel, that globally they're much, much more serious. It's very different persona whilst keeping while still in China keeping obviously true to the brand DNA but they still have that playfulness those the stickers the emojis the different exactly. things that they play with and I think that's something that brands you know you rightly say brands really need to get their head around at the very beginning because otherwise they just don't don't get cut through no and sometimes we find that the brand guidelines for certain brands are a little bit too rigid so for example yeah. say if it's around color palettes so some brands will only have a primary color palette and not a secondary color palette so it, they might only have say four to five colors that are on brand but mm. say particularly for wechat you sometimes it's really advisable to have a secondary color palette where it extends on to 10 to 15 more colors so when you're looking at the layouts and the backgrounds you can use colors to actually bring it to life because it's very dull aesthetically it's not very eye-catching if from the Chinese perspective if everything looks too samey that can be quite hard to do for a lot of brands because there are key hero colors that you are known for but it is useful for your China team to be able to be a bit more creative without requiring a lot of extra budget by having a broader brand palette to work with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, it's so important for brands to realize the playfulness that we talked about and the, the color palette and also that you know, if you look at, you just look at a Chinese website, I always say to clients, go to a, a Chinese website and look at how much is going on. You know, things are flashing yeah. at you all the time. That's what they're used to. So a, a Western website that has, you know, one key area that you're looking at is just, is boring and, and not interactive. So I suppose if you think about it through those, that channel, then you can understand why you need more colors, why you need more gifts or, or whatever it is in the formatting. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is important for brands to think about is organic reach is super hard in China. Um, so I don't know whether there's anything that you do with your clients or that you have recommendations for brands that are trying to sort of have a more grassroots approach um, with smaller budgets. Yeah. That's a million dollar question, isn't it? Or the million remedy question. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, Unfortunately, organic is really, really hard to get, especially in China, but I think globally it's a phenomenon. I usually say to clients, think at how Facebook has become a monetization platform. And if you do a Facebook post, the only way it's gonna get seen these days is through boosted ads. Mm -hmm. Luckily, Instagram's not quite there yet. Even though the algorithm has changed, you can still generate organic reach, especially through the use of hashtags. Mm. So similarly in China, WeChat in particular is not an organic channel at all. It's absolutely pay for play. Um, Weibo can be organic, especially if you've got celebrity content. Celebrity content is key. It's like, that's the thing that flies on the um, Weibo channel. Mm -hmm, and for the Little mm -hmm. Red Book, the blessing there is that we have the KOCs which um, the key opinion customers, which are micro KOLs or kind of wannabe micro KOLs um, on that platform and we seed a lot to them. So mm -hmm. as a beauty brand, um, the, the, 
the strength that you have is that you generally have the ability to seed versus say a luxury fashion brand who seeding a $10,000 bag is not going to happen. Whereas Mm. seeding um, a $500 lipstick can happen. So Mm. seeding is key to that organic Mm. strategy, but it can't be done alone. You need to allocate some paid budget to it. What we would say to brands is that whenever we are doing, um, the marketing for the beauty sector is we'll always allocate like an always on seeding approach. Um, and we would expect to get at least say 50 to 70% posting rate that is unpaid posts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we say that's a really good return. And then there's that is amplified through paid. So they're always on seeding and then mm-hmm. the paid through key campaigns. Yeah. And you will seed the big KOLs as well as the KOCs um, and build those relationships and then allocate some paid to genuine kind of content that can tell the brand story in a deeper way. But true organic is very, very hard to get. Um, the other part I would say is not to underestimate um, the importance of the um, less official Taobao channels or the, yeah. the Daigos because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. often if a brand is entering the market, when I first talk to my team about whether it has potential, the first thing they do is see, has it got buzz anywhere? Is it mm-hmm. being sold on any um, Taobao stores? And mm-hmm. if it's not, they generally think it's probably not quite ready for us to then mm-hmm. take it on the bigger marketing mm-hmm. journey. So um, the, it is important to especially if you're at a stage where you can't afford to go onto team or global yet, it's important to look at working with a distributor who has good relationships with some decent Taobao stores and get your products within those Taobao stores and then potentially being open to exploring some of the Daigo channels just so that your product is getting out there, then support it through seeding and then you're Mm. kind of ready to go into a next phase of China marketing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's something I always talk to people about as well there's obviously distributor option through for Taobao, but there's also like in your home market. So depending where, which home, but if it's an Australian brand, for example, because there's so many overseas Chinese in Australia. So really working on that local community there, and then yes. you get a lot of Daigos that come, that come through and you also get word of mouth because most of them are first generation in Australia. So therefore they've got really good networks um, in China. So that really helps in terms of word of mouth, but you need to be established in your home market as a brand in its own right. And then target specifically the Chinese in that market to help boost um, to start with. Absolutely. And I think also nowadays it's even more important that the brand has success in its home market mm-hmm. and the chinese consumers are very savvy to brands mm-hmm. who have not made it at home and are trying to make it at china in china mm-hmm. so if you have got good instagram success you're an ig famous brand you've got more likelihood of succeeding in china than if you are not that well known already in your own market and you haven't leveraged yeah. the western channels enough um, the brands who really have kind of blown up on social media in the west are the ones that stand out in the chinese landscape mm-hmm. and you and the point you made before about your team going on vpn to look at instagram i mean i think it's a lot of people of that sort of post 90s generation they go on instagram all the time they want to see what's hot 
in other markets, right? It's very common. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's, and they're they're constantly on Instagram. They might not be actively posting on their own profiles, although some of them are. And actually we've seen a lot more KOLs from China are now on Instagram themselves. Mm. So they will have their Instagram profile won't be as big as their other China social networks, but they will often have an Instagram channel and then they might chuck in a free Instagram post for the brand as part of a paid campaign. Um, Mm. So you can see that although it's blocked, it's still relevant and useful to the China marketing because it's a way that people see, is that brand actually really cool? Is that brand interesting from the Western perspective? And also in the beauty space, there are makeup artists that that are popular in the Chinese landscape. um, And there are celebrities the same who are popular in Chinese landscape. So people want to see who from the West is using it, wearing it, talking about it, because that also makes it much more interesting from their perspective. There are so many homegrown Chinese, you know, um, beauty Chinese brands now that um, if the brand doesn't actually have a point of difference and doesn't have talkability, why would they choose to use a Western brand versus a Chinese brand? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Gone are the days of um, being a sort of Chinese brand, but positioning yourself as a French brand or, you know, like uh, the consumer is much more sophisticated, thankfully, nowadays. Absolutely. Yeah. We always call it brand China, like the Chinese brands, Sea Beauty. They're very proud to be Chinese and the the Chinese consumers really respect the marketing that they're doing. They think it's very creative. It's fun. It's really dynamic. Um, But it doesn't mean that they aren't still interested in the international brands. They are super adventurous and want to discover something that's new. And Mm. they tend to be portfolio buyers. So they won't tend to go, here's this brand that I love and I'm going to have every single product from that brand and that's it. It'll be like, "I, I like this face cream from here. I like this lipstick from here. I like this highlighter from here. I like this brow brush from here. And then I will change it up in the next month because I want to see, oh, that's an interesting product and they give it a go. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's good for new brands coming in, as as you said. Definitely, opportunity. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess the last thing is really about a trend or a couple of trends that you think that a beauty brand looking to come into China should really have on their radar. Yes, so um, I've come up with a trend with my team, actually. It's not yet out there. Maybe we can make it a term. But we're calling it the the tribalization of beauty. And what we mean by that is that um, a few years ago, the the Chinese beauty landscape, we would say, was focused on the one look, the key visual look. So the poster look. So, you know, um, a brand X brand would take out a big poster um, and that face, that look, is what everybody wanted. Whereas in the recent years, what we've seen, particularly with the younger generation, is that they are into the multi-look. They're mm. no longer just satisfied with achieving the key visual. They want something a bit more experimental. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe not every day, but they're looking to explore. So we feel this is the overarching trend, or overarching trend for the beauty industry in terms of it's the, the tribalization of beauty, the democratization of beauty. Mm-hmm. And from a brand perspective, what you need to do, especially from the localization piece, is it's not just, oh, the trend this year is highlighters, but it's more the trend this year is happening within the social networks and it's within those tribes. So for example, some tribes could be like the Asian baby girl look. So the ones who are famed for the winged liner, the bleached yeah. hair, 
love tattoos, um, colored contact lenses, highlighter, this kind of thing. Tap mm -hmm. into that trend. If you've got mm -hmm. a highlighter that's just gonna rock that look, make sure that you as a brand are creating a look with a local makeup artist or a local KOL that focuses on the Asian, on Asian baby girl trends yeah. and the tribe. Um, mm -hmm. A recent tribe that's just come up is the, um, a nod back to Hong Kong beauty look. So you know mm -hmm. the, um, the actresses from the 70s, 80s, 90s, from when Hong Kong was you know, the dominant force in Chinese yeah. film. Um, and they look absolutely gorgeous, glamorous, very Glamour. chic. Yeah glamorous look a lot of the actresses have started to go down this route and have are having those looks created mm -hmm. so on social media red it's called the hong kong beauty look um mm. other looks and tribes you've got is the k-pop idol look and um, yeah. the thai look the japanese airy look the chinese red look the sisters look so that's where we got to this kind of thought of is there one thing that is happening right now in beauty that we think brands must know we think there are so many things actually and it's actually more about these tribes that happen within social that then become the buzz and it's more about how can your product help a young consumer achieve the look of that tribe and create mm. content around that um, yeah. which means that you are being local in a way that's relevant and not um, touching in your global brand integrity but just showing how your products are relevant to the style that's going on of today mm, and these, yeah, tri no, these really tribes change a lot and very fast yeah oh, well that's something about china in general everything happens so at such a fast pace but the, the it's interesting at how you can back to the, the the question about localization you know how you can twist that you as you said you've got your global brand image but making sure that you're tapping in and and having people like you guys there on the ground to sort of tell you constantly what the latest tribe the latest look is is um is at the moment and i think that also taps into something much broader about this thirst for individualism which is yes you know in china five years ago that wasn't really what people were looking for um now it's such a you know even the way people travel the experiences that they want to have how the things that they post on social media it's very much like we want to be different um yes. and for such a long time it was about wanting to be to be the same be be, the, be yeah but mainstream but now it's um which is exciting for brands and i think especially for brands that probably a lot of brands that will be looking at this is you're a niche beauty brand you've got a specific angle you might be makeup or you might be skincare but you're you've got you've got to find your tribe as well right so yeah you've, you've, exactly and you're looking at a really quite an, a small group of consumers you don't need to go too broad you've just got to really nail what they are and how they consume and what they're interested in Absolutely. And I think when we've been working with brands lately, what we're doing is actually auditing their, their product SKUs mm -hmm. in light of what's already in the market and seeing, mm -hmm. you know, have they got a killer eyeliner? Have they got a killer highlighter? Have they got killer brushes? What is it that makes them stand out? Mm -hmm. um, and what is a bit mediocre in their portfolio? Mm -hmm. So is their eyeshadow a bit weak? And if it is, we're quite honest with them to say, okay, we think these should be your hero products. Um, mm. And we discuss it with their TP to say, okay, we think these are the winners in terms of social buzz because of what's out there. And we think the brand could come to life in this way through social mm. conversations, particularly on bread. 
and mm -hmm. we say push those as the hero products and actually we've been really pleased with a lot of brands in terms of accepting that feedback you know it's quite mm -hmm. tough sometimes to say to a client mm -hmm. oh, we think your eye palette's not that great yeah, um, but yeah. we think your brushes are amazing mm -hmm. and the clients that we've been talking to have been really open to that and quite keen to say okay that's great because we know how competitive the market is we're probably not going to win in all categories mm -hmm. but let's go into some categories we think we can win and stand out in and mm -hmm. then as your brand gets known you can broaden out into other products um, that you're, you've intrigued people on your brand that they're willing to give that eyeshadow a go. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, it's great that your clients have been receptive to that because that is something that is quite difficult. Even if they're not offended by something being mediocre, it's just about focus. You know, yes. really trying to focus on those few products that we think will win. Don't worry about the rest. That you know, your brand name is on it. They'll still know about your brand, but you just, in order to hook people, you need to hook them with something. Um, and especially because, at, to your point before about the Chinese consumer picking and choosing the best of each brand, and they're not going to buy your whole range. You know, no. so so yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, it's really interesting. And on the skincare side of things as well, it's that we've been working with uh, quite a few brands. And um, what we have found is sometimes the ones that are perceived to be, but this is before we start working with them, perhaps the ones that have been introduced to the market initially, perhaps by a Daigo. So this is where the Daigo, you've got the love-hate relationship with them, right? Because sometimes they, they're brilliant for driving sales, but sometimes they can be a little bit detrimental to brand image yep. because maybe they just pick up a product that for them is easy to understand but they're not thinking about um, what perception that will have in the market so not we see sometimes yeah. that they don't care they don't get it it's like well I think I can sell that great mm. so but from a branding perspective it's about taking a step back and say does that hero product that the Daigos have pushed out actually represent your brand in the right way and do we think it's enough to say yes it might be enough to say I'm going to try that product and that brand once but will I come back mm. whereas what we do is go a bit deeper into all of the ranges and say what do we really think can stand out what do we really think is quite different and then suggest that we shift focus onto those um, and I, I think I'm sure this is not unique to China because there is so much information overload mm -hmm. these days mm -hmm. and we're all looking for a product that is going to make us look better younger mm -hmm. whatever for longer mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and it's just about taking that step back and not being too um, convinced that it's about everything that you've been doing is right up until now and it's being willing to test and learn and try um, yeah. and see how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Test and learn and try and do it at a really fast pace because yes. <laughs> that's what that's what China that's what China um, requires, I think. If you oh, it does. It, you need to be up for that. You need to be China speed for sure. Yeah, definitely. Overdrive. Well, thank you so much. That was super interesting. And I'm sure that everyone will have been able to get lots of different takeaways from it. So if people want to contact you or contact Red Ant Asia, what's the best way to do that? Um, well, we hope people would like to speak to us. We're always interested to talk to people. And um, you can find us at asia.redant.com or you can find us on LinkedIn through my LinkedIn, Elisa Harker. Um, we're also on Instagram um, at red underscore and underscore Asia and WeChat, which is 
we I think it's red ant official so we're on many channels but we, we yeah. love to talk to people we'd love to to hear what people think and what they're up to and hear if they've discovered any trends in China lately great great well I'll put all the details below thank you so much thanks so much Ali talk to you soon <laughs>